graduate of Yale University, Michael Knowles is a best-selling author, actor, podcast host, renowned commentator, and host of the Michael Knowles Show at the Daily Wire and the book club at PragerU. In 2017, Michael published Reasons to Vote for Democrats, which not only went on to become a number one national bestseller despite containing 266 empty pages, but was also hailed by President Donald Trump as a great book for your reading enjoyment. In 2021, Michael published his second book, Speechless, which also became a number one national bestseller. Michael also appears regularly on Fox News, the Eternal World Television Network, and One American News Network, amongst others. He has lectured at a variety of research institutes and universities across the country, and Vanity Fair has notoriously described him as a dapper, lib-triggering troll. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor and privilege to introduce to you tonight someone whose lectures, writings, thoughts, comments, and even acting abilities have made significant and invaluable contributions to the conservative movement. Please welcome to the stage, Michael Knowles. Thank you very much. What a wonderful welcome. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you to Clemson for the invitation. Thank you to Yaf, as always, for hosting. It was a while ago. I, I was an early adopter of reality, and I think that we have said all that needs to be said on that subject. What I would like to discuss tonight is a related topic, more pressing and more controversial. I'm sorry to say, even among self-styled conservatives. And that is the fact that kids are not commodities to be bought and sold. People are not property. Children have rights. The reason this issue has come up recently is that same-sex couples have begun to purchase children through surrogacy and in vitro fertilization. Liberals celebrate this novelty. Most conservatives find it instinctively abhorrent but even some self-styled conservatives celebrate it. The reason for this unusual degree of confusion and controversy is that the issue is entirely new. Nothing like this has ever happened before in human history. The reason for that is twofold. First, our political order has, for the first time in the history of civilization, denied the necessity of sexual difference to marriage. That is, our system of law has, for the first time ever, denied the difference between men and women. The second reason is technological. For the first time in the history of the world, we can create and gestate human life outside of the conjugal act. For the first time ever, we can make babies without sex. Unfortunately, technology and ideology have outpaced bioethical inquiry. To quote Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park, your scientists were so occupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think whether they should. Actually, the full quote is even more apt than that. In that full quote, Goldblum's character says, quote, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed staggers me. He describes the scientists' actions as a violent penetrative act that scars what it explores. Entirely true. And in the case of IVF and surrogacy, what the discovery here, both technologically and politically, explores and scars is people, 
specifically innocent little babies. The case of homosexual men purchasing children through surrogacy is particularly and most obviously egregious because it involves creating babies with the express intent of denying them their mothers. The bond between babies and their mothers is the most intimate bond that human beings will ever experience. The mother is the very environment in which the baby forms. The mother's voice is the first voice the baby ever hears. Mother and child share nutrients that sustain them both before and after birth. Many children grow up without mothers. For all of history, motherlessness has been a rare and unfortunate event in a fallen world that leaves a wound to be healed as best as it can be. Today, motherlessness is an intentional political program undertaken with the blessing of the law, which now holds that the presumed right of men to children trumps the actual right of children to their mothers. Sadly, this phenomenon, though recent, has now occurred for long enough that we can read the accounts of children who lament the trials that accompany this unnecessary hardship. The writer Katie Faust has detailed such anecdotes in The Federalist. The biological hardships to begin, children who are conceived through surrogacy and IVF face more health problems. They tend to be born premature and underweight. Worse still, though, are the psychological and spiritual problems. Envy of their friends with mothers, the hatred of Mother's Day, the pressure not to express their anguish even because it might make the men who raised them sad, the social adjustment issues, the difficulties bonding with the non-biological father, the identity issues, the constant wondering about half-siblings, the existence of whom they are legally barred from knowing, the increased risk of depression, the increased likelihood of being prescribed antidepressant drugs, the total neglect of their reasonable suffering by a society more concerned with stamping out imaginary phobias than with protecting the natural rights of children. The basic universal longing of children for their mothers because moms and dads are different. It's ghastly. It's absolutely horrific. It is just about the most rotten thing a society can possibly do to children. But many, many who have opined on this issue want to place blame just in one corner. And I, unlike them, do not. I do not even really blame the homosexuals. It's very easy to look at the situation and accuse these adult men of selfishness. And they are selfish, obviously. They put their own desires, their natural desire for children, along with their disordered desire to exclude women from that process, ahead of the rights and interests of their prospective children. But I suspect that most of them don't know that. In their defense, these men have been told by the entire culture for about 60 years now that men and women really aren't different. And if men and women really aren't different, then moms and dads really aren't different. And if moms and dads really aren't different, then why would anyone need or even want to have both of them? What's the difference between a family and a couple of fellas if that premise is true? I don't mention these harsh truths to make the men who have fallen for this lie and temptation feel bad about themselves. I don't suggest that we take away their children that we might endeavor as best we can to introduce these children to their mothers. This is a fallen world. There is no way to undo the terrible crime that has been perpetrated on many people. The children most of all, of course, but even the men who were told that they were doing nothing wrong. 
The men who sincerely believed that and who might now be listening to this speech thinking in horror, wondering, what have I done? It's a terrible feeling. We've all made mistakes, some more egregious than others, but there is no sense in trying to undo the past. There is no sense in dwelling on past sins after we've seen the error of our ways. The reason I mention all of this is to stop the crime from spreading, to prevent this from happening again in the future. I do not primarily blame the homosexual men for the growing evil of surrogacy and IVF. I don't blame the women either. We all know the statistics about children who grow up in fatherless households, the significantly higher risk of behavioral problems, of going to prison, of abuse and neglect, of drug and alcohol abuse, and so on. Kids need their fathers. It isn't complicated. At some level, every single person knows that. I do not primarily blame the homosexuals of either sex for this awful situation. They are simply following a 60-year series of delusions that our culture and politics have promoted to their logical conclusion. The primary culprit, I believe, in this case, will likely surprise my critics. The culprit is capitalism. More precisely, the culprit is capitalism unconstrained by morality. And more precisely still, the culprit is the commodification of children, of people broadly, and children in particular. Before I came here tonight, I was told that the Democratic Socialist Club of Clemson had planned a protest. There was going to be a big protest, but then it was a little chilly outside. <laughs> now, that was enough, and they said, ah, I don't know. Even with a coat on, it's a little too cold. So if they were here, had they protested, they, they might be surprised by my thesis. Perhaps they would have given me a hero's welcome, but probably not, right? I don't think they actually would have done that. The reason they wouldn't have is that they love this kind of stuff. The left loves the commodification of people. The socialists here do not actually hate capitalism. Capitalism is a word that was popularized by Karl Marx himself, okay? Ironically, the socialists who pretend to hate capitalism actually love it, inasmuch as capitalism makes everything, including people, about money. Just as ironically, the conservatives who purport to love capitalism actually hate it, inasmuch as we know that life is about much more than money. The left might worship mammon. We do not. What we actually love, and what we call capitalism, but what we're actually talking about, is morality, which entails the protection of things like property rights, but which recognizes, crucially, that people are not property. We outlaw slavery because we recognize that people are more than property to be traded. We outlaw the sale of organs for the same reason. A true free market absolutist, the most extreme kind of capitalist, might endorse the organ trade. Reasonable people, however, recognize that it is probably wrong to harvest the organs of the poor. I think we all generally would agree on that, right? Yeah. This is the same reason we outlaw prostitution. The true free market absolutist sees no problem with prostitution. Most people, however, recognize that it is wrong to entice poor women in terrible circumstances to sell their bodies as meat. We recognize that people are more than property. Free markets can be a wonderful thing. I love the free markets, don't get me wrong. 
I was sucking up to the democratic socialists for a second here. They're not even in the room. Free markets can be a wonderful thing. In the words of Pope John Paul II, quote, the free market is the most efficient instrument for utilizing resources and effectively responding to needs. But efficiency is not morality. And human beings are not mere resources to be utilized. Human beings are the subjects for whom resources are utilized. Capitalism, circumscribed by morality, is as fine a method for producing material prosperity as has ever been discovered. Capitalism, unconstrained by morality, is a monstrosity, as efficient an instrument as ever, but efficient in the degradation of people by denying their very humanity and the rights that go along with it. This ultimately is the problem with IVF and surrogacy. The chief problem with IVF and surrogacy is not that the icky gays use it, as some selectively outraged critics would seem to suggest. The chief problem with IVF and surrogacy is that it commoditizes human life. When a man begins the process of the sort of IVF and surrogacy that we've been talking about, he first opens up a catalog and he picks a woman. He would like his child to have blonde hair, so what does he do? He flips to the blonde section of the women catalog. Remember they went after Mitt Romney for the binders full of women? Here, we, that was metaphorical. Here we have literal catalogs to buy women. So they, they find the, the blonde section of women, and then the man says that he wants his kid to be smart. So he's going to need a Harvard graduate. Now I would never choose a Harvard graduate if I wanted <laughs> But he doesn't, he doesn't know. He's very confused. So he picks a Harvard graduate. And look, there might be an upcharge for that. Sure, that's okay, though. This man, he's done well in his career, and he's more than willing to pay to make sure his child never suffers the indignity of having to go to Brown or something like that. Could you imagine? Then, of course, he's got to make sure that woman has no disabilities. That's completely off the table. If he is going to shell out this kind of money, and we are talking about $100,000 easily, maybe more than that, well, he doesn't want to have to deal with any imperfections. Earlier this year, two homosexual men wound up suing the surrogate that they had contracted to gestate a child for them. They sued her because she had been diagnosed with cancer, and they found out that the medical treatment might cause birth defects with the child. That sounds bad enough, right? It's, that sounds like they wanted her to forego medical treatment so that she didn't harm their baby, right? It, it's actually much, much worse than that. The men sued the surrogate because she refused to kill their child, or one of, their, one of the men's child, through abortion. The men did not fear that the medical treatment would harm the child enough to kill him. They feared that the medical treatment would not harm the child enough to kill him. They feared that the treatment would harm the child just enough to give him a disability. And then they would have to accommodate that disability, and they didn't pay for that. They feared that their designer baby would not come out perfect, which would be inconvenient. But they also didn't want him to live because they didn't want their, quote, DNA out there. That is a direct quote. So they demanded that the surrogate kill the baby. They had paid for him, after all. They had rented the woman's womb. Whatever happened to the customer is always right. Last year, another couple of men filed a lawsuit this time against a fertility clinic and a specialist, because these men had ordered two baby boys. But you know what got delivered? A baby boy and a baby girl. They didn't order that. 
When I order a box of cigars and I receive the wrong box, you know what I do? I send it back for a refund. I want the cigars that I want, which happen to be Mayflower cigars that you can sign up for at mayflowercigars.com, but you have to be 21 plus, some exclusions apply. That's what the lawyers tell me I have to say. That's what I do. I would, if, if I got some other kind of cigar, I would send it back. That's how it works with all of the products that I purchase. And if people are now products, then that's how it's going to work with people, too. But people are not mere products. Products don't have rights. People do, babies included. In fact, it is precisely because babies have rights that adults cannot claim to have a right to them. Many people today fall into the error of believing that they have a right to a child. Even some conservatives fall into this error, but it's preposterous. In making that claim, actually, they undermine their own argument. Because if people have any rights at all, then no one can have a right to another person. A child is not something that is owed to someone, but, it, but rather a child is a blessing a gift that one is given. A child is the supreme gift of marriage. Not everyone receives that gift. Many married couples struggle with fertility, and it is incredibly painful. It is a terribly difficult cross to bear. But the alternative to that cross is even more terrible, and that is the treating of children as property to be bought and sold rather than as people with rights. In the matter of procreation, the only person who possesses genuine rights is the child. Those rights include the right to his mother and father and the right to be respected as a person. So far, we have only discussed the many ways in which IVF and surrogacy violate the rights of the child who is born. We have not yet even touched on the children who are not born. Because IVF is so expensive, in many cases, many human beings are created. Sometimes many embryos are implanted at once, and sometimes lots of them stick, at which point doctors advise mothers to have a reduction of the number of embryos. They, they will reduce, quote-unquote, the embryos to a more comfortable number. That is a euphemism by which they mean the killing of some of the children in the mother's womb so that she only gives birth to one child, maybe two, instead of two, two children or maybe three, who knows. Even if the mother chooses not to abort any of the children that have been implanted, that usually still leaves a number of, of embryos, that is, of human beings, of people, sitting in a freezer. And sitting in the freezer is how they will remain if the mother doesn't want any more children. Human bodies and souls on ice until the patient or clinic decides to kill them. What about the cases in which all embryos created through IVF are implanted into the surrogate and none are aborted. In that case, we still face the problem of ripping a baby away from the surrogate, that is to say, the woman who is the nearest person to a mother that he has ever known, the voice that he has heard his whole life, short life, but his whole life, the woman who will carry his DNA in her body for the rest of her life, we use clinical language such as surrogate and gestational carrier. I'm not kidding. That is from one of the lawsuits that I just mentioned. Gestational How does that make you feel, ladies? You're a gestational carrier. It sounds like a, a piece of military equipment. <laughs> That's the kind of dehumanizing language 
that plaintiffs use in these lawsuits. We use this kind of clinical language, but the bond between women and the babies they carry is permanent. We know this because scientists have discovered male DNA in the brains of women after their death, which seemed kind of strange on account of how men and women are different. But this led the scientists then to discover that the DNA was from the children that they had carried in their wombs. That is to say that babies literally, physically, remained a part of them for the rest of their lives. But then, what about the cases in which all the embryos created through IVF are implanted, none are aborted, and no surrogate is used? This is, without question, the case that most people consider to be the most acceptable of all. And still here, we face the same fundamental problems. IVF and surrogacy, even in the most publicly acceptable case, do something that we have never seen before in American history. They establish the domination of technology over the origin and destiny of the human person. They entrust the life and identity of the babies into the power of doctors and biologists. This trust is not merited. We seem to read stories about this at least once a year now. Just last year, a California woman sued an IVF clinic for implanting the wrong embryo into her. Whoops. The woman gave birth to someone else's child. One supposes that another woman gave birth to her child. Now whose child is whose? This was not a one-off incident. Earlier this year, a North Texas couple sued a Fort Worth fertility clinic for using the wrong sperm to conceive their children through in vitro fertilization. Bigger oops, huh? In the case of the California couple, perhaps they could trade the baby back to his rightful parents, whoever they might be. Strange as it is to say, one might think of a solution in that bizarre case. In the case of the Texas couple, what is anybody supposed to do? The doctors just created a baby whose parents are not married, whose parents did not intend to create a baby together, whose parents are married to other people. What are those adults supposed to do? More importantly, more horrifyingly, what is that poor baby supposed to do? It's ghastly. No one who gives this matter sufficient thought can seriously defend this dehumanizing process. And yet, and yet, there is one final argument in favor of IVF and surrogacy, and it is the most persuasive argument of all precisely because it is not an argument. The argument is that there are many people today who owe their lives to IVF and surrogacy. Some of my friends were conceived this way. Many people owe the existence of their own children to IVF and surrogacy. A number of my friends and many of my acquaintances have done it. And what those parents instinctively say to any criticism of IVF and surrogacy, any look that's a little bit too close into the details, is they will say, without IVF and surrogacy, my kids wouldn't exist. So damn your arguments, damn your bioethics, I don't care where your reasoning leads you, I support IVF. That's what they say, and it's completely understandable. That is a totally natural reaction. Because kids are good. Kids conceived through IVF are just as good and have just as much a right to life as kids conceived the old-fashioned way, of course. But good ends do not justify evil means. 
No end, no matter how good, justifies immoral means. A child conceived in rape is just as good as children conceived in marital love, of course. He has just as much a right to life as a child conceived in any other way. But his goodness and his right to life do not, therefore, justify rape. We still discourage rape. We outlaw rape. Without rape, that child would not exist. And the child is a blessing. But rape is obviously wrong, so we outlaw it. There is no contradiction in that sentence. A friend of mine is fond of observing that facts do not care about one's feelings. You may know this friend. Now, I have pointed out to this friend of mine that while facts might not care about feelings, politics almost exclusively cares about feelings. And we are feeling creatures. That's part of what makes us human. But our feelings can deceive us. I am not the first to observe that the imagination of man's heart is prone to evil from his youth. Even the best of intentions, detached from the rigors of logic and the constraints of morality, can go terribly wrong. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Modern technology can dazzle us. Ideological fads can hypnotize us. But eternal truths remain, whether we wish to acknowledge them or not. People have rights, which means that people are not property, which means that kids are not commodities. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Very kind. a dink. Dual income, no kids and laboriously bragging about it online. Why is nobody talking about being dinks? Nobody talking about it. You never shut up about it. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. Here's our life as dinks in our early 30s. Early 30s, interesting. No shocker here, folks. Today we went to Costco. We don't have kids to feed, but we got lots of money to spend on goodies. Brian always checks out while I get a box and then I sit here and look cute. Here's the haul and our total was $252. Yeah, the shopping cart may be full, but the egg carton on the other hand. No eggs. Empty egg you don't have any jokes. You cannot tell me that grocery shopping and a fresh slice of Costco pizza isn't a good date night. I mean, you can tell me that, but I don't believe it. Obviously, we had car cookies for dessert, and yeah, I will probably just make this a series now, so follow along for more ding content. Because forget cradling your newborn, nurturing it through childhood, helping shape it into a wonderful human being, sitting content in your old age, knowing that you'll be cherished, loved, and cared for until the very end. Fuck that, when you can buy more Costco pizza and cookies instead. And a fresh slice of Costco pizza. We're dinks. We go to Trader Joe's and workout classes on the weekend. Wow, you go to a grocery store and exercise. Can't do that with kids, can you? We're dinks. We're already planning our European vacation next year. Could have done that when you're literally 18. European vacation. Mm, my personality is travel. Dude, going on holiday isn't a personality. Dinks, we get a full eight hours of sleep. And sometimes more. <laughs> All the sleep in the world won't get them eggs back. No eggs. Dinks, we can play with other kids and give them back. <laughs> yeah, except when it matters, their kids will actually be there for them. You two, on the other hand. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We still do it three times a week. Haha, <laughs> Coomer. We're dinks. <laughs> Did you see his Coomer face? <laughs> We're dinks. We don't use our kids or dog as an excuse to leave a party. 
We just leave. <laughs> Better stay to the bitter end with all the other losers. We know why you don't want children. You are children. Clinging on to extended adolescence like there's no tomorrow. Because for them, genetically, there is no tomorrow. We're dinks. We have disposable income to spend on whatever we would like and don't have to spend on a kid. Oh no, it might harm my precious disposable income. The Rockefellers made having a kid economically impossible. Go take a look outside. You see any black people? What's it look like they're doing? Hmm? I'm serious. Yeah. Well, what's better having You sound you sound like a fucking moron. It's economic it's economically impossible. Go outside. There's a, there's 50 black people with 5 kids each. Get to work. Stop stop thinking of imaginary excuse. Uh, if I go outside, there's Tony Stark with Iron Man suits going to come down and zap me with space lasers. Shut up. Go fuck. Dinks out-earn couples with kids by $9,000. $9,000 in return for destroying countless future generations and becoming a genetic dead end. Hope your $8 pumpkin spice latte was worth it. For Dinks, we spend our discretionary income on $8 lattes. Half the supposed benefits they list are always related to mindless consumption. We're Dinks. We're going to go to Costco and buy all the snacks in bulk that we want. I think you've had enough snacks, mate. We're Dinks. We're going to go to Costco and buy all the snacks we want. I can eat more. I can drink more. I can sit on on my backside and watch more sports and Netflix. We're dings. I'm gonna go to every football game. You know why I'm happy? Because today, I woke up at 11 a.m. and I was, I could just have a cappuccino and take it slow. Do you know why? Because I don't have kids. Consume! Don't ask questions. Just consume product and then get excited for next product. We're dinks. We're going to get chastised by people on the internet because they're going to assume that we're just obsessed with material things. Really? Whatever gave them that idea? Lots of money to spend on goodies. Here's the whole grocery shopping, Costco pizza, car cookies for dessert. We're dinks. The only person I have to fight over snacks with is my wife. Snack, snack, snack. We're dinks. We're gonna go get late night ice cream whenever we want. Fucking hell. So you can shove more shite down your throat. How is that an achievement or a means to happiness? We're dinks. We're gonna get told by people with kids that they can do everything that we do as if we don't already know that. But wait, the whole point of these videos is you listing things that people with kids supposedly can't do. Incredible. We're dinks. We're gonna treat that dog like it's our child. Right, so you do want a child. You're just too lazy, irresponsible, and obsessed with snacks to make the commitment. Snacks. Now back to the video. If dinks were honest with themselves. We're dinks. We've been sucked into a death cult. We're dinks. We're putting our immediate hedonistic desires above our long-term genetic interests. We're dinks. We're part of a selection event, and we've been selected out. We're dinks. We're coping with the fact that we're gonna be failures as organisms. We're dinks. When we're older, we're going to look back on our lives with a profound sense of regret. We're dinks. We're going to die cold, alone, and with no one in the world who loves us. We're dinks. When we die, we will leave no future and exist merely as economic units to consume products to conceal our existential crisis. Dinks. Having a kid is so expensive. No thanks. Also dinks. But even aside from the money issue. When they asked young people why they don't want kids, only 17% said it was for genuine financial reasons. 56% said it was because they just don't want to. A study by Pew Research Center found that 44% of non-parents aged 18 to 49 said they were not likely to have kids ever. That's up by 7% since 2018. They're literally terminating their own bloodlines just so they can briefly prolong their selfish, atomized avarice. And we make fun of women for the no eggs thing, and we'll continue to do so. You don't have any eggs. If anything, the men are even worse. Some are so cooked by their dink wives, they'll literally get their private parts mutilated. Oh, yes. I like to be
Mate of mine did that, then his wife left him. Fellas, if you're ever considering settling down with a woman who says she never wants kids, do me a favour, turn around and run a hundred miles in the opposite direction. Saturday morning vloggers a dink couple. Boring, 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 boring. You really need some kids to liven that up a bit. So you got up ate food, drank coffee, and went food shopping. And that's it. Really selling this lifestyle, aren't they? There's so much cope on display, it's off the charts. If you're so happy with your perma-childless existence, why do you feel the need to constantly justify it to complete strangers on the internet? Is that where all the extra time not having kids is spent? Making smarmy, self-satisfied TikTok videos about how you're really happy. We're so happy. We're really happy. We've never been happier. Do you believe me? Believe me. Thanks, we're gonna go to Costco and buy all the snacks in bulk that we want. Meanwhile, studies say being childless is linked to depression in both men and women. And infertility causes chronic anxiety. We're dinks. Having kids would force us to be introspective and examine why deep down we really hate ourselves. I love how they act like they're being all edgy, subversive and self-empowering. We're dinks. We're gonna normalize that you can live a full and wonderful life even without kids. Society pushes you into thinking you haven't made it in life without kids and marriage. No, it doesn't. In white Western countries, it does literally the opposite. You're literally the product of an algorithm-driven social engineering campaign. Your entire outlook has been manufactured by systems of technocratic control that hate humanity. A weaponized antinatalist psyop. Precision designed to encourage the exact behavior that you're exhibiting and claiming it's your own free will. But yeah, you're so cool and independent. You're so contrarian. No, you're not. You're the ultimate conformist. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. We're dinks. Get off the internet and have some kids, losers.